In this week's episode of Aliens Explored, we will be discussing the life and works of Polish-American author and self-described wandering teacher George Adamski. In the 1940s and 1950s, Adamski became widely known not just in ufology circles but in the wider popular culture after he produced a series of photographs that he claimed were alien spacecraft. Furthermore, he claimed to have met Nordic-type aliens from various planets in our solar system and to have travelled to the other side of the moon in a Venusian craft. This week's episode is dedicated to our Explorer of the Week, Toby Foams. Toby has subscribed to our Patreon, which enables us to do what we know you love, as well as offering a range of benefits to suit your pocket. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash aliens explored to find the tier that is right for you. Aliens Explored is a weekly podcast exploring famous and obscure cases of UFO sightings, alien abductions and other strange events from both a believing and a sceptical perspective whilst keeping an open mind. I'm Stu Jackson, a professional actor and amateur ufologist with a particular interest in the crop circle phenomenon. I'll be debating that otherworldly visitations are real. The truth is out there. And I'm Neil Kelly. I'm a professional actor as well and used to work for the military as an intelligence analyst. I'll be arguing from a more doubtful point of view. I mean, it's all a bit far-fetched, isn't it? Welcome back, listeners, to Aliens Explored, your weekly podcast looking at all things UFO or UAP alien or extraterrestrial or EBE related. I am one of your hosts, Stu Jackson. And I'm your other host, Neil Kelly, who will be uh, trying to convert those UFOs into IFOs. Absolutely. (laughs) At at every opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's interesting you said, because I always think that's a key part of any ufologist's job is to, you know, sort out the, the, the wheat from the chaff. Absolutely. Um, If you can identify it, it needs to be identified. Well, in fact, I I would have thought it was a a ufologist's main task to try and identify it. Yes. To make every effort to say, to to see, to check that it's not something else before you claim this is something otherworldly. Yes. Yes, that's, that's. Exactly so I'm, 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 just, I, yeah. I'm not here to debunk. I'm just, I'm just here to keep us honest. Absolutely, and yeah. and to you know, it's a, it's a vital and important part of the ufologist work. Um, speaking of work, you've been you've been out doing comedy acting again, haven't you? Uh, I had a job today. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's a group of people I've worked before. There's um on Channel Four online. There's a comedy sketch show called The Bait. And I've done a few sketches with them today. This is called um, this sketch is called Mankit, where this guy is offering his services as a human blanket. Right, not okay. played by me. I, I'm just a, a Mankit user. Okay, okay. Um, this is uh, we have to point out. It's probably not safe for work, is it? 
They tend not it's to be the the bait tend not to be safe for work. You mean to watch at work? Yes. Yes. To watch on your on your office can be um I think it probably is. I mean if you're allowed to if I mean a, a lot of workplaces they say well you know, during your lunchtime while you're having a sandwich at your desk, yeah, you can log on to other sites. You can look at it. They, they draw the line at pornography, obviously. But no, I would, I would think watching a sketch show on Channel 4 would be just fine. Well, I'm remembering the previous one you did about the woman who upcycles dildos. Yes, that was the first one I did for the baby. Yes. This, woman, this woman recycles um, sex toys. Yeah. So I'm thinking... Is that, that that's probably not safe for work? <laughs> I suppose it depends on your it depends on your work environment, doesn't it? If you if you work for a, a religious organisation or a, or just err <laughs> on the side of caution, it's your job and you don't want to lose your income. Err <laughs> on the side of caution, but yeah, you're not watching anything. I mean, I suppose you're watching stuff that will be shown after the watershed because it's showing sex toys, but it's not really showing anyone using them for their originally intended purpose well that's kind of the point so. is now with streaming services we don't have watersheds anymore um you know it used to be so it, i bet there's even listeners out there who don't know what we mean by a watershed um which is certainly in the uk and i believe in most countries um after a certain time of night that's when you could start showing things with swearing or violence or you know, that that kind of adult material, but it was only after a certain time of day, like um, 8 p.m. or after 9 p.m. or 8 or 9 p.m. But there was also, I mean, the watershed, what I thought it was originally, when I was a kid, television actually went off for an hour um, early evening, around about 6 o'clock or something like that, 5 or 6 o'clock. Did and it? that was when parents, yeah, that's when parents could drag their children away from the television and give them their tea and send them to bed. Right, okay. Oh, I didn't whatever, know yeah. that. I did not yeah, know that. Was actually, when I grew up, this will become a strange to come across as strange to our American listeners. We had very little television. There were three channels. One of them was really just for, um, well, it, was, it was used by the Open University and schools lessons and things like that. You know, the, mm. uh, but it was also the BBC's experimental channel. So that's where Monty Python made their first appearance. But there was basically the BBC one, um, the BBC's flagship channel, and there was ITV, which was the commercial equivalent, which ran advertisements, and that was it. There was no breakfast TV, daytime TV wasn't really a thing. If you were off sick from school, you couldn't spend your time watching TV because there was nothing on. Um, it started in the evening. Yeah, I, I remember the launch of breakfast TV. I also remember the launch of Channel 4. I can remember mm. the first programme that was on it and even the first advert that was shown on it. Wow, because um, the first program—I mean, the first program—is for our UK listeners. Um, it will be very obvious when I say "countdown." <laughs> countdown. It's wow. a show that is still running to this day, and it's a—it's it, a, a panel show where you—it's like Scrabble, but um, but I would be very—I'd <laughs> be very surprised if it hadn't been syndicated all over the world. The, every single listener we got knows exactly what countdown is quite possibly quite possibly um yeah and the first ever advert was uh for a voxels the voxel car it was yeah i can't remember which car specifically but it was voxel cars yeah there you go 
for our, for um, our American listeners, a Vauxhall is is made by General Motors. Uh, that's but that's those are the General Motors cars that we drive here, over here in in the UK. And for our German listeners, uh, that's Opel. Opel, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but it's also General Motors. <laughs> also General <laughs> Motors, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And then Channel Five came in, and yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, hmm. sort of went downhill from there. <laughs> well, I mean, but by, by the time Channel Five was in, people already had satellite TV and cable TV, and uh, I don't. And we were about to go to digital, and people were really wondering why are they launching a new terrestrial commercial TV station at this time. It's still going. It will, it's which still it, going. it is still going. If you like your documentaries about sharks and Nazis, then uh, <laughs> Channel Five every time. Are you saying it's the Discovery Channel of the UK? <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> I must admit, yes, if there's UFO programmes, they tend to be on Channel 5. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that there was that Harrods documentary on Channel yes, 5? Yes, I do. Yes, um, I our, do. Very For much. our listeners, um, uh, Harrod, Stu and I have a particular interest uh, having worked as Harrods Father Christmases. Um, and the last time we worked there, 2019... That was the last time they had a Christmas grotto. Um, the, there was a buzz that there was this documentary on Channel 5 about Harrods. So we watched it and we were surprised to learn that Harrods Father Christmases aren't just any ordinary Father Christmases. We're actually the best in the world. And well, we, we knew that. <laughs> and, and, and we can earn up to £1,000 a day. Well, between the six of us, <laughs> between the six of us who are on any one day, yeah, we might earn £1,000, but not, not each. <laughs> I know that was, that was, that was ridiculous when that mm. came out. But now we knew we were the best in the world. Um, we are. Absolutely. Harrods and Macy's, I think, are the kind of two... Hmm. leadership ones in fact my first year at harrods um i had a uh, well i had a family come in and um as they as they left the visit uh the father sort of stayed behind a little bit and he shook me hand and and leaned in and said uh there is an american family and he said um we went to macy's last year you were better yes (laughs) i'll take that (laughs) chalk one up (laughs) Anyway, we've gotten well off topic here today. As we always do. Uh, so today we're uh, sticking with Americans, um, a Polish-American author by the name of George Adamski. Yes. Uh, had you come across... Oh, dear. <laughs> there we go. Uh, um, I, sense- don't, a- yeah, I, I don't think I had come across him before. The name didn't really ring a bell. Okay, um, but I would imagine his photographs you might have seen. Um, I've seen that that famous picture of a of a flying saucer, which um, which many people have said, well, that's just a heat lamp. Ah, yes, the, 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 what they call the chicken brooder one. It looks the chicken like brooder. Yes, yeah, is it used brooder. for incubating chicken eggs? It's it's a heat lamp. Yes. And it, it's, it does have that classic flying saucer shape. It's exactly the same shape um, from the from the uh, uh, according to my memory, anyway, of the uh, Quinn Martin production, The Invaders. It looks like that. It does look like that flying saucer <laughs> down Do you know to the the three that, glowing bits underneath, which yeah, obviously heat bulbs. Well, that specific design uh, has been used in 
uh, a number of different productions. Transform. I'm, I'm a big Transformers fan, and I remember in the eighties there was a uh, a flying saucer transformer called Cosmos, and and he was in that specific design as well. Oh, wait a minute, I've I've been to your flat. You don't have any Transformers toys. No, I don't have them on display because you've been to my flat and you've seen 300-plus Star Trek starships. Where would I put the Transformers, mate? Um, it's a staggering collection, I, I will admit. <laughs> yeah. no, you just don't have the, the shelf space anyway. And, <laughs> and, and boxes of things that you don't have shelf space for. Exactly. So, you know, when I get somewhere big enough, you might get to see my Transformers collection. Oh, um, right. <laughs> Yeah. So yes, and it's 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 kind of it's coming to um, sort of the pop culture. I think that's the the phrase. Wasn't also the 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 spacecraft in the TV series Lost in Space that kind of shape as well? Well, that was more so. So the the chicken brooder design, as we're talking about, is is kind of it's a bit more upright than your traditional flying saucer, Mm. which is more of a shallow disc shape, and that was more. Uh, you're lost in space, and and of course, um, Forbidden Planet. Uh, they went yeah, yeah, the Forbidden Planet a, logo. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly that, isn't it? That uh, yeah. that ship was a, a flying saucer. Um, so yeah, so, so, it, so it's it's steeper than that. It's more sort of upright than that. Yeah, but so do we owe that design to George Adamski's fake photo? Well, uh, <laughs> You're saying it's fake, like it's factual. Well, his chicken brooder photo. Yeah. Do you know? I want to revisit that question later on because I want to come back okay. to that. But um, but first of all, let's talk about who George Adamski uh, was. Um, like I said, Polish American guy, um, born in 1891, died in 1965 of a heart attack. Yeah, and in fact, born in. Well, Poland didn't exist as a country. He was born in German Prussia. He was born in Prussia to Polish parents. To Polish parents. I'm I'm sure Poland existed, didn't it? um, It existed as... I don't know if it existed as a... It certainly didn't exist as a country. That up until the the First World War, the German Empire and the Russian Empire shared a common border. There was no Poland. So Poland was... Poland had existed in the past... But um, it, it was wiped out. It was invaded by jointly by the, the Prussian, Russian, and Austro-Hungarians, and they just they just wiped it off the map. Right, uh, but yeah, okay. there would have been people still there who were ethnic Poles who still spoke Polish. Um, it was only after the First World War that um, Poland was re-established as a as a country again, and then and then shifted its borders again after the Second World War. And. In, in uh, to any of our Polish listeners, Yaksimash. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, well, he was two years old when they left. Um, it, hmm. it, was, it was Bromberg, I think, in Prussia. Yeah. Um, yeah, two years old and when his family up sticks and moved to New York. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's kind of, he's quite strong with the American side. Um, yeah, and... I can't really find out much information about him until he um, he starts getting involved with some interesting, uh, I'll say, religious sects. Um, 
I nearly said mm. cults, but that might be not entirely the right phrase. Mm. Um, um, certainly got involved in theosophy at one point, and oh, that's which a is, which is, which is one dis- for me. Which, which is described as an occultist religion. It is. Um, um, I mean, there are a number of occultist religions, but uh, well, theosophy is is kind of an offshoot of. It's sort of a hybrid of occultism and Christianity. Okay, and then he was involved in a variant called neo-theosophy. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, yeah, theosophy. I, I personally, I, I have kind of issues with, but uh, let's not get too much into that, I suppose. Mm. Um, yeah, and then later on, he he starts releasing lots of photographs of different types of UFOs. Yeah. Um, oh, I mean, he just says they're, they're alien vessels. Um, lots uh, and, and lots he claimed to, yeah, and he claimed to have been in one. Yes. Um, so he he describes several times. Um, yeah, these Nordic aliens. Uh, hmm. So these are typically sort of they look pretty much human um, with white hair, tanned skin. So almost you mean, you mean skin. The, the kind of aliens that would appear in low-budget sci-fi movies of the 1950s where they can't <laughs> afford anything other than aliens that look like humans? Yes, um, <laughs> but also, you know, it, it has to be said that the Nordic-type aliens do crop up time and time again throughout ufology, um, and it has been suggested that we, in fact, are an offshoot of their species. Hmm. Uh, well, when you, they when they arrived here and fucked a monkey, uh, <laughs> is that well, how we came about? More like they're colonising and seeded. As ah, right, yes. <laughs> but I mean, Adamski, Adamski knew how to turn a buck, didn't he? I mean, back in the nineteen thirties, while living in Southern California, in, we we're talking about his his religious involvement. He founded the Royal Order of Tibet in Laguna Beach, which held its meetings in the Temple of Scientific Philosophy. And the way he was able to make money was during during Prohibition, um, he was given a government license to make wine for religious purposes. So apparently, well, Adamski was quoted as saying, I made enough wine for all of Southern California. I was making a fortune. But then, of course, Prohibition ended in 1933. And his business model fell on its head. (laughs) Um, suddenly, yeah. Um, suddenly, when it was exposed to competition, that was it. He, um... well, it was uh, it, it was famously L. Ron Hubbard, uh, the founder of Scientology, who was famously quoted before Scientology, and uh, of course, unrelated, I'm sure, hmm. um, famously quoted as saying, "If you want to get rich, the best way to do it is to start a religion." Mm. Uh, now, the fact he then went on to start the religion of Scientology is, uh, like I say, unrelated, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, again, um, the differences between the United States and Britain or places where uh, other uh, other listeners of ours are, are listening from, um, it's, it's much easier to found a religion in the United States because people are more inclined to... To, towards that sort of thing, it would be very difficult to do in Britain, I think. 
to just start a church of some kind and get people coming in. Uh, America has this tradition of the you know, the traveling the traveling salesman, the the traveling faith healer. That you, know, you live in a small town, there's nothing else to do. This guy rocks up, and you go and see. Well, what's what's he about? Yeah, um, and we tend to be more sceptical and guarded here in the UK. Um, but people are generally less religious in Europe. Yeah, I mean the yes. reason the reason the founding fathers went to the United States was because they basically they wanted to turn the clock back. They were they were seventeenth century Puritans who were dismayed at the creeping. Um, Oh, the the the, de- the decline of the church in 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 power making or, or running running things in Europe. So they thought, well, let's go to the new world and and make it anew. Let's let's make the kind of society we want to live in, which will be a a very restrictive Puritan Protestant society. Yeah. And, and America still has, for me, to to my eyes anyway, when I've been over there, um, still very much bears the marks of that. Yes, although when you look at, at our kind of, I hate to say it, ruling class, um, mm. church and state are very much intertwined. Uh, which which is, a f- it is a funny thing, isn't it? Because our, our head of state, the Queen, the monarch, is the head of the Church of England. Mm. Um, our upper house in Parliament, the House of Lords, has bishops in it. So um, mm. churches are very much very much involved in passing legislation. Whereas in America, they have this official separation of church and state. I mean, I've read a case this week where um, I think it was in Kansas that suddenly um, police vehicles were forced to remove the, their badge on them that said, in God we trust, As, you know, because it breaks the rules about separation of church and state. Obviously, it's controversial. Um, there are lots of people in America who who are always trying to to blend church and state in every way they can to make America a more overtly religious Christian country, um, and people there are more religious, um, much much more so than in Britain. Hmm. Yes. Now we have gotten a little bit off topic. Um, we we have got off topic. You're right. so. George Adamski did. Yeah, basically started his own religion um, yeah. in Laguna Beach. Um, he's, yes, he's, but this was all before his, uh, his claims of alien interaction. Um, he yeah. did release three books on the back of it, and they were bestsellers. Uh, Flying Saucers Have Landed in 1953, Inside the Spaceships in 1955, and Flying Saucers Farewell in 1961. Mm. Um, But he has released an awful lot of different photos. So not just the one you've mentioned, there have been um, sort of cigar-shaped UFOs um, featuring predominantly. There's been collections mm. of UFOs, some of them just as as bright lights. Um, mm-hmm. But the big, the big event, uh, and you mentioned him sort of having trips with uh, with aliens. Um, the big event for him came in 1952 when he made contact with one of these Nordic aliens, who he claimed were uh, Venusian. 
Hmm. Uh, I mean, it makes some wild claims, like every planet in our solar system is inhabited. Yes. Which is which, which, which might have sounded which might have sounded feasible to people mm. back in the 1950s. Or uh, 1940s. Even even I'm going to naysay that because no scientific evidence was very strongly on the no, they're not. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, no. But yeah, he, he even claimed that. Um, there were man-made canals on Mars and things. It, mm. Well, he claimed that uh, he went in a Venetian craft, which took him on a, a journey to the other side of the moon. Um, mm. And on the other side of the moon, he saw cities and mountains with snow caps and green fields and forests and all this kind of thing. And then a few years later, I think it was in 1959, um, a Russian craft orbited the moon and took photos, which just showed the lunar landscape that we're more familiar with, and yes. he claimed, oh, it's a cover-up. You know, they, uh, <laughs> they've edited out all the things <laughs> I saw. Um, and he also claimed that there was a two-mile-long spaceship the other side of the moon as well. Yeah. Um, he also claimed that... Um, so, so the primary alien that he was in contact with, uh, this Venusian, mm. uh, was called Orthon, yeah. Um, and yes, he made claims that, that Orthon spoke to him telepathically, mm. um, but they would sort of stand and converse. Um, I suppose it just looked like a one-sided conversation, just observing it. Um, yeah. Yes, there were warnings about how we were going to destroy ourselves through nuclear um, obliteration. Uh, and so, so wait, like, wait, wait a minute. When, when did he? Nineteen fifty-two. 1952. When yes. was the original um, The Day the Earth Stood Still made? Ooh, round about 1950. Yeah, because that's exactly the same plot, isn't it? A... This humanoid alien arrives and says, you know, we've been watching you for a while, and now that you've got nuclear weapons, um, you're actually, things are getting a bit out of hand. We've got to, we've got to step in now and, and give you a... We've got to snap, slap you down before you do some serious damage beyond your beyond your world. Um, on there your are similarities that you. I can, don't know if it's uh, a recommendation. Um, I, I watched the, I watched the remake, the two thousand and eight remake of. Oh, the I day, mentioned it the other Earth. day. Yeah, yeah. You did, yeah, and was that a recommendation or did you, you just mentioned it? No, I but, just um, mentioned it. <laughs> similar story, only he's come to warn us about destroying our planet, and basically he's on a mission. Um, humans, humans are just one species out of thousands on this planet. We're wrecking it, everything for everyone. So basically, if we wipe out humankind, the planet will thrive. Um, yep. That's his mission. Um, not very plausible because he meets um, a scientist played by John Cleese, who basically talks him out of it. He says, "Well, you know, we're at, we've reached this crunch point, but you know, now this is this is where we'll change. We'll suddenly realise and we'll fix everything. So don't worry." So he says, "Fair enough." And basically gets back into his flying saucer and goes off to where he came from. I imagine when he got back, they were saying, what the fuck? You were supposed to have wiped out human <laughs> civilization. Why didn't you? So, yeah, well, you know, they, they promised to change their ways. Well, since well, since you've been on your journey back, they've elected Donald Trump, who says he's going to he's going to tear up all these agreements on, on carbon emissions. Um, they've elected Jair Bolsonaro, who says he's going to burn down the Amazon rainforest. Get back there now and do the job properly. <laughs> right. I'm gonna I'm gonna say it wasn't quite as cut and dried as just he meets John Cleese who persuades him. Um, he observed humanity 
in its mm. minutiae and saw the potential for development and change. Um, it was it was far more complex than just he meets John Cleese who talks him out of it. <laughs> we've we've always had the potential to to you know, every 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 problem that we are facing on this planet, whether it's it's um, climate change, war, poverty, um, hunger, disease. We're, we're capable of fixing them all. Now, we could fix yes, we everything are. today. Um, yes. all, that's, all that's standing in our way is vested interests. All that's standing in our way is people hoarding money like dragons on their piles of gold. Yeah, yeah, and they want that's to continue doing that. And yeah. yeah. Anyway, right, so we've gone way <laughs> off topic here. Um, yeah. So we talked about him, uh, George Adamski. No, not John Cleese. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about George Adamski. Um, going off visiting these other planets with this this uh, Venusian orphan, orphan mm. rather, uh, in a Venusian ship. And that brings us back nicely to that photograph we talked about, uh, because that was purportedly a Venusian ship. Mm. Now, the thing I'm going to – do you know what? I'm going to hold my thoughts to the summary um, on that. Hmm. And let's summarise where we are. So it sounds to me like you're absolutely convinced he is a charlatan and a fraud. Um, as are many other people. Um, he had a meeting with Queen Juliana of the Netherlands. Um, that he Adamski informed a London newspaper about the invitation, which prompted um, court and cabinet to ask Queen Juliana to actually cancel this this audience, which he went ahead anyway, saying you know, it would be rude to do that. Um, after the audience, Dutch Aeronautical Association President Cornelis Kolf said the Queen showed an extraordinary interest in the whole subject. The, the Air Force Chief of Staff, um, Lieutenant General Haya Schaper, said the man's a pathological case. Once again, Queen Juliana's weakness for the preternatural had landed her back in the headlines. She had invited to the palace a crackpot from California who numbered among his friends men from Mars, Venus, and the other solar system okay. suburbs. Okay, but, but here's the thing. We're going to, like, anybody who is who comes forward and claims to have an encounter, you will find lots of people in official positions who will naysay them, who will say, no, 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 they're talking rubbish, right? We're, we're okay. always going to get that. It's your opinion that I'm after. But but we did talk about um, Edward J. Ruppelt, the head of Project Blue Book. We did. Um, th- that... Um, that he was prepared to be open-minded, that he didn't... He, he was didn't, initially, yeah. He, at, he was initially, At that yeah, time, he, yes. Yeah, um, who and uh, he he went to um, he went to one of Adamski's lectures, and um, based how did he describe him? Let's see if I can find it. But he said he was very impressed by the guy. I mean, he described he compared him to to P. T. Barnum in the way he was able to to hold an audience and, and get showman. people to, to believe. Yeah, he was he was a showman, and um, what did he say? Uh, but the, yeah, he wrote that you know people shelled out hard cash to hear Adamski's story. He he made a living out out of this. That, that, that basically he was selling them this story of other worlds where there's no illness, they've learned how to cure diseases, no wars, no poverty. Everyone has everything they want. No old age because they've learned the secret of eternal life. Um, and it, he's basically he said 
this can be boiled down to step right up, folks, and put a donation in the pot. I'm just on the verge of learning the Spaceman secrets. And with a little money to carry out my work, I'll give you the secret. So, right. um, But that's that's Rupert. Rupert okay. But I'm after your, your opinion, man. <laughs> um, Rupert, oh, I like this bit. Rupert also noted that um, um, by 1962, beautiful space women who claimed to be Nordic aliens were dating Adamski, a blonde from Saturn called Kalna, and another woman called Ilmuth. So he was he was doing all right out of it. There's actually, let me just someone else who was involved with Adamski. Just say this very quickly. You're avoiding uh, the question. Yeah, an Anglo described as Anglo Irish eccentric Desmond Leslie. Um, who had created a low-budget UFO UFO film called Them in the Thing. That's uh, Them in the Thing. He made the film at his home. It's available to watch on YouTube. That's Them in the Thing, yeah, made in he, 1956. He co-wrote um, Flying Saucers Have Landed with Adamski in 1956. With Adamski, yeah. yeah. So um, my opinion, I, I think that Adamski was... Um, yeah, I, I, I'm inclined to agree with with Ruppelt that he was a showman. He realised that there was money in this. He'd, he'd started religion to make money. Um, then he switched to when, with the, in the in the UFO craze. He realised there was money to be made with this as well. Okay, and he, he did make money, um, but I don't believe him. I don't believe he he went on a Venusian spaceship around the moon. I'm. Very much inclined to agree with you. Um, okay. The guy, it seems, it, it seems to all appearances like a complete nut, a charlatan, and someone who made a lot of things up. He was also known to be fraudulent. Um, hmm. Let's take all his previous experiences um, out of it. In 1957, he claimed to uh, receive a letter. Um, inviting him to a cultural exchange committee from the U.S. State Department. That was a complete mm. hoax and fabrication. And, yeah, I, I would say yeah, he looks and sounds completely honestly, like a like a cotton man. Yeah, However, I, I think, there's um, one yeah. thing, yeah, and it comes back to this photograph of this one ship that we talked about right at the beginning. Mm. It is the same or very, very similar design to the German Hunnebu mm. um, designed spacecraft. They're basically the German flying saucers, which we've talked about in a previous mm. episode. And additionally, it's a very, very similar design to the drawings um, made by. Uh, our friend Lazar, Bob Lazar, Bob Lazar, yeah. Mm. Um, I th my theory, and there's all it is. It, it's a theory is that George Damsky happened across some genuine UFO material, and built everything up as a show around it. They say that with the best lie has a grain of truth to it. And I think but that they, UFO they, is the grain of truth. But they also say if you're caught telling one lie, that casts doubt on all your truths. Oh, of course it does. Um, uh, what I think was that uh, was it in 1946. He was with some friends, and they they saw this incredible meteor shower mm -hmm. while, while they were out camping, and that would have been the year before 
the year before the the whole flying saucer craze that with, with Roswell and and such. I think he he latched. He thought, oh, there's something in this. He he realised he could make. I think that that just gave him the idea. The the combination of the two: seeing a meteor shower and then hearing about these flying saucers. Yeah, I, think, I, yeah I, I can absolutely get on board with that um, completely. But I do think that this this particular design of flying saucer shouldn't be dismissed out of hand as a result. That's my thoughts. No, if you can't you can't say for sure what it is, then yeah, don't dismiss it out of hand. The fact it's got this connection but, with Bob Lazar, with the, um, hmm. the the Nazi flying saucers. That, that seems like too much of a coincidence. But anyway, listeners, what do you think? Have we got it completely wrong about George Adamski? Was he a very genuine and misunderstood person, perhaps? Is that what you think? And, and you any family members out there who want to want to re- rehabilitate him <laughs> yeah. in our eyes, t- tell us off. Yeah, we've, we've been oh. a bit unkind to George Adamski. Absolutely, do get in touch, or if you if you think we're absolutely on the money, and uh, yeah, the guy was a con artist. Um, let us know that as well. Whatever you think, you can contact us via the usual means uh, by email at aliensexplored at gmail.com you can find us on twitter and facebook by searching aliens explored or if you are one of our patreon members like toby is uh then you can uh get access to our exclusive discord server the aliens explored discord server uh, where you can chat with us and like-minded people about any of the topics we discuss here um Join us next. Oh, in, I ought to say, you can find details of our Patreon tiers, and uh, we got quite a few of them. And there's some lovely goodies in there. Um, something to suit all pockets, we like to think. Uh, you can find details of that at patreon.com forward slash aliens explored. Um, join us next time, though, when we will be looking at the events of June 1977 surrounding one Terry Lovelace. Whoa, and, looking uh, forward to that. His experiences. So, yeah, don't miss that one. In the meantime, keep watching out for the charlatans and watching the skies. Well, personally, I'm off to watch them in the thing on YouTube, so I'll <laughs> report back on them at some point later. It's right. only uh, it's it's only twenty minutes long, no, actually right. nineteen minutes, nineteen minutes and five seconds. So I think uh, my attention okay. will last that long. But uh, yes, you enjoy ca- that. <laughs> catch you next time. Take care. Bye-bye. Aliens Explored is a Fiegel Films production in association with Juicy Falls. Music by Darren Mafucci and editing by Stu Jackson. Find us on Twitter and Facebook by searching Aliens Explored or visit aliensexplored.com. <laughs>